You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. How many of you thought your phone was just going off? I feel like we just broke the 11th commandment. Your phone going off in church? Uh, Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to go ahead and be turning in your Bibles there. Um, I was super excited when I was asked several weeks ago to preach today. Um, Basically, what's been going on for the past year or so in my life is God has put one message on my heart, and today was the chance to speak it and to share it with all of you. Um, First off, let me introduce myself if I haven't met you in person yet. My name is Luke Parker. I'm one of the ministry associates here at 12th Street, and today God has given me an opportunity to share basically the same thing that he's been putting on my heart for over a year now. Um, For the past year, because here in two weeks we hit the one-year mark since COVID-19 hit us at home, but for the past year, God has been chipping away at my heart, at my soul, removing any falsehoods or misconceptions that I have had about the ministry, about the role that we are to play in God's plan. And I would refer to last year, all of 2020, essentially as the year-long dark night of the soul. I've talked about this on one of our podcasts, what a dark night of the soul is. It's a part of our sanctification, the process where we are being made to look more like Jesus And we're aware that God is changing us and working in us and using us in these ways. But we have no idea why or what he's doing. And that's been me for the better part of a year now. Is God has been changing me, using me, and I have no idea why or how. I've just been going with it. And as we look back on the year that we just got out of, out of 2020... Looking back, I can see how God was opening my eyes to see just how dark and divided the world really is. When COVID hit and we all went into shutdown, everyone ostracized themselves. We set ourselves apart, isolated. No one really wanted to be around each other because we were fearful. And COVID sort of tore the veil back on a lot of issues that the world has. People struggled in many different ways, but a lot of us went through similar situations. And what's even more heartbreaking than realizing how dark and divided the world is, is seeing the role that the church played last year. I'm happy to say that here at 12th Street, we've continued to preach the gospel without skipping a beat. But how many churches in our area and around the world closed their doors for the first time and haven't reopened? How many churches had to shut down or were split over things that went on inside their buildings. The role that the church played and is to play has changed forever because of the year we just had. What we have right now is a choice to continue forward or to stop right where we are. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in Ephesians chapter 4. The message that God has been placing on my heart is a call. Accepting the call. The call of Christ. 
and looking at what the Christian life is supposed to look like in this world. This message, first off, just we need to understand that every message that you hear from God's word can change your life if you allow it to. If you open your heart to receive what God is wanting to say to each and every one of us, it can and it will change your life. But today's message specifically can change how you view the church, how I view the church, and how we as the church, the body of Christ, the universal church, church with a capital C, how we view the part that we are to play in God's plan. So I'm going to make a very bold statement, and then we're going to run very quickly to the scriptures so that I don't get ripped a new one, and we see that it's God talking and not me. And that statement is this. I believe that the church has forgotten what it means to be called by Christ. I believe that the church has forgotten what it means to be called by Christ. Now let's quickly look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So just for some context and background information of this passage that we're looking at today, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. He is already arrested. He's been taken into custody for preaching the name of Jesus and sharing the gospel boldly. More than likely, he is speaking this, and one of his friends that has visited him while he's on house arrest is writing this down so that they can deliver the message to Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus at this time is becoming a divided church. They're still relatively new believers, and they're to the point where they're starting to understand more about Christianity, but there's a problem. They're getting caught up in the minor details of our faith. They're starting to argue over traditions and practices, how best to follow each and every command. And in the grand scheme of eternity, they're arguing over meaningless and trivial things, things that don't even matter, arguing to the point that they are forgetting the salvation that has been graciously given to each and every one of us as Christians. Much of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is just a reminder of the gospel to get them back on track, to refocus center their life and their church as a whole back on Jesus. In our passage today, we see that Paul is writing this letter to remind them of the love that they are supposed to have in their hearts, a love that reflects that of Jesus Christ. And what's especially interesting to me is we see this reminder of love here in Ephesians chapter 4. We see Paul reminding them to love one another, to love others, to share the love of Christ, And then you fast forward to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and we see John refers to the church at Ephesus as the church that has lost their first love. Even after being reminded of the love that we're supposed to have, Ephesus quickly 
faults and fails and forgets their first love, the love of Christ. And that affects everything else that they do. It affects the love that they have for one another and the love that they have for the rest of the world. And they forget to show love in all that they do. Our main point for today, just a blanket statement that I feel like God is wanting us to see from these verses today is that we cannot be divided before Christ, but must be united in Christ. We cannot be divided before Christ, but must be united in Christ. What does that mean? It means that we cannot, we cannot come into the presence of God arguing over minor inconveniences to the point that it divides us as a people. But we must, we have to remember our first love, Jesus. Because that will affect everything else that we do as believers. And we are to love others as he loves them and has already loved us first. We are to reflect that love in all that we do. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 and start breaking it down verse by verse. Starting in verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This verse gives us our main command for this passage. Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have been called. He is urging us to do something. He's urging us to live the way that we are supposed to live. Being called by Christ means that we must live like Christ. How do we do that? John Piper, one of my favorite pastors that is still alive today, has a sermon from 2016 where he talks about the Christian life. And he boils it down to very three simple facets that the Christian life is to be built upon. The Christian life is meant to be lived in and for Christ. The Christian life is meant to rely on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Christian life is meant to trust in God alone, not in ourselves. So how do we do that? Living in and for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised again. Everything that we do goes back to Jesus. The love that he showed us on the cross is meant to change us in effect, how we live our lives from the moment that we meet him. From that moment on, we are to live a changed life. And 2 Corinthians tells us we're not to live for ourselves anymore. That's what we used to do before Jesus. But since we know Jesus, we as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are to live for him. Our life comes from him. Our life is in him and we are to live for him. We're also supposed to live our life by relying on the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 26. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, 
fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, just as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its, pas- with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. The only way that we can live like Jesus is by relying on the Spirit. Relying on the Holy Spirit to fill us and to empower us and encourage us to live this life. And follow Jesus in this way. We also, all throughout life as believers, are meant to trust in God alone. Not in ourselves and not in anything else that we find here on this earth. David shows us this example. Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. And I will not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. For God is a refuge for us. The only way that we get through this life, the only way that we get through 2020 and beyond, whatever is in store for us this year, is by trusting that God will get us through it. That is the only way. We get through it. We are here today because of him. Our salvation, the reason that we are in this place today is only because of him. And we have to trust in that. Trust that no matter what may come our way, he will get us through it. And he will, as long as we believe. And we as a church, as the church, the universal church, we have to have our priorities straight in order to live this way. If we don't, we will fail. Just like Ephesus. If we fail to live like Christ, we fail to live out the truths of the gospel in this way, we fail to be the example and the followers that Jesus has called us to be and shown us and taught us how to. I mean, we have the guidelines right here. We know how we are to live. So why don't we? And how are we to live again? Ephesians chapter 4. In a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Live a life that is worthy of the calling that God has placed on us. Don't let his call on our lives be in vain. Live a life for Christ. The scriptures are filled with reminders to live like this. Just to rattle off a few. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. And so, from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, 
as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. For you remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we wouldn't be a burden to any of you as we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God is also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And if we do these things, if we live this life that is worthy, Romans eight twenty eight through 30, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We have to live this way. We have to be worthy to be followers of Jesus. We have to be unified in the way that we as a church live out these truths of the gospel. And Ephesians chapter 4 shows us exactly how we can better live in that way. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 2 and 3. With all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So being called by Christ means that we are called to live like Christ, but it also means that we are to love like Christ. We do that by doing three things. We love God, we love others, those who are outside the church, and how we love one another. Loving God. Loving God means that we uphold him higher than everything else in our lives. Anything else that we could find here on this earth, God is above it all. He created it. Why would he be anything less than that? Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, we see how Jesus showed us how to love God in this way. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Jesus died on the cross for us because of his love for the Father and his love for us. He was 100% God, 100% man, and yet lifted the Father above himself. We too are supposed to live in this way, humbling ourselves, recognizing that the one who created us deserves to be glorified in everything that we do as believers, everything that we do. We also or to love others as Jesus did. Loving others, those outside the church, means that we live a selfless life. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we are to humble ourselves and recognize that God is above us, rightfully so. But we're also supposed to humble ourselves and lift those that are around us up higher than we are. We're supposed to lift them up in prayer if they are non-believers. If they are not a part of the body of Christ, we're to lift them up in prayer and continue to love them the way that Jesus has loved us so that they would see him in us and that they would come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ so that we could call them brothers and sisters in Jesus. We have to love them in this way. We have to love them in this way. We also have to love one another. Loving one another, those of us inside the church, our own brothers and sisters, loving one another means that we are to live a life that shows a love like Christ. Be an example of love. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus is at the Lord's Supper the night that he is arrested before he is crucified on the cross. And he tells his disciples, knowing that one of them is in this room that is going to betray him. He tells him, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The way that we love one another reflects the love that Jesus has shown us. And if we are followers of him, we have to obey the commandments that he's given us. He has commanded us to love one another. And the world is watching how we treat one another. The world is watching and waiting for us to fail. The way that we love God, love others, and love one another matters. And so do the times where we fail to love in this way. We have to own our mistakes. The times that we fail, we have to own it and use it as an opportunity to refocus and to redirect our lives back on track. Rhett McLaughlin, one of the guys from Good Mythical Morning, if you know who those guys are, they're very famous YouTubers. Uh, The younger kids in here probably know who Rhett and Link are. Rhett McLaughlin was once a member of the body of Christ, former brother, once professed, faith in Jesus Christ, hurt by the church. I don't know his story exactly. Hurt by the church in the way that other believers, people who say they are Christians, treated one another and treated him. He has since left the church, forgotten the faith, and no longer calls himself a Christian. He said this on his podcast with his best friend, Link, talking about one of the many dangers that the church is facing in today's world. He said this, your kids are not leaving the church because you didn't train them enough. Your kids are leaving the church because you train them well enough to develop a sense for truth and justice. You let them read the words of Jesus and they got it. They really got it. And they've come to recognize that the church doesn't seem to be interested in those words. They're not leaving because they don't know the truth. They're leaving because they do. Ouch. I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart to hear 
a former brother to stand up and say that about the bride of Christ. The ones who are supposed to look more like him than anyone else. To stand up and say that we are no longer worried about what the Bible says. At least we don't live like it. That's what his experience is. And I feel a sense of responsibility for that. I feel like we all should as the church, as a whole. We should feel responsible for the hurt that the church causes someone. Whenever someone walks into a place of worship, into a gathering of believers, why would they ever be turned away that causes them to say something like this? That should break our hearts. It should wreck our souls. If someone who once professed Christ as his Lord and Savior can stand up and say that about the church, where does that leave us? We're the ones that are responsible for that. We're the ones that are responsible for the hurt that the church has caused. Whatever happened in this situation, I have no idea. But we have to do better. We have to be better than this. We've been called to be set apart from the rest of the world. So why aren't we? We have to strive to live and love Christ in all that we do. And Ephesians 4, 2, and 3 show us how we can better love like we should. We can love others through humility, gentleness, and patience. Loving others through humility. We already talked about the example Jesus has set on us, but just to rehash, John 15, verses 12 through 17. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit would abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he would give it to you. These things I command you, that you will love one another. Jesus showed us the ultimate form of love by dying on the cross for his friends. And we have to be willing to do that for the people around us, our brothers and sisters, but also for the rest of the world. We have to love others in humility by being willing to lay down our life for them. There's no greater love than that. We have to love others in humility. We also have to love others in gentleness. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient, being ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
Jesus Christ lived a very quiet lifestyle. He didn't walk around Jerusalem causing a ruckus, flipping the script, making a scene. He lived a very quiet, humble, meek, gentle lifestyle as he went about his life speaking the truth and loving others. We too are supposed to do that. Loving others through gentleness. Submitting ourselves to obedience of whatever rulers or authorities are put in our life. Looking for every opportunity to speak truth and love that can only be found from the gospel, from God's word, in any situation that we find ourselves. We are to love others through gentleness. We also are to love others patiently through patience. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but do not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Then you jump down to verse 13 and it says, Now these things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The way that we love the people around us is an ongoing daily commitment. It is a choice. It is a lifestyle that we have to want to live. And in doing so, we would reflect the love that Jesus has shown us. How patient has God been with us to give us time after time after time again, chance after chance, to turn away from our sins and shortcomings and to refocus our life on him. We must be unified in the way that we as a church love as Christ has loved us. Going back to Ephesians chapter 4, 2 and 3, being called by Christ means we are to love like Christ, but it also means that we are called to be peacemakers. Look at verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We have to maintain peace. We're called to be peacemakers of the world and with one another. We're called to be peacemakers. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is the message that we are to share with the world. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Just as Jesus brought peace to mankind in the sacrifice he made on the cross, forgiving us of the sins and paying off the debt that we owe, reconciling the world to himself, it is our job to carry on that torch, to carry the message of reconciliation, restoration, hope, and peace to the rest of the world. We have to be the example for them, to show them that there is a better way to live this life, a life that is lived for Christ, in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. We just finished a whole series talking about how we can practice the way of Jesus. We have to practice the way of Christ. We're called to be peacemakers of the world. We're also called to be peacemakers with one another. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-11. through 11. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but by being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, Subject yourselves to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, all of us. Clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered for just a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our job is to live a humble lifestyle, not getting caught up as the church at Ephesus and the trivialities of life, arguing to the point that we become divided, but being a, an example to one another of how to live this life. The Bible tells us we're to outdo one another in honor. A little friendly competition never hurt anybody. We're supposed to outdo one another in being like Christ. We're supposed to live in this way, and we're all on the same team here. We can't afford to lose our focus the way the Ephesus did. We just read in 1 Peter, if we do, the devil will eat us up for dinner. He will have us for lunch, breakfast, all the meals of the day. We will fail to live like Christ if we become divided. We are called to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So if we become divided like the rest of the world is, and we know that it is, we will fail to finish the race that God has set before us. We will not finish the work that's right here in our hands to do. We cannot be divided before Christ. We must be united in Christ. We have to be unified in the way that we seek to make peace in this world and with one another. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, going back to our main passage. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Being called by Christ means that we must be united in Christ. Jesus defeated division on the cross. We do realize that, right? Ephesians chapter 2, 14 through 22. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those of you who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the entire structure being joined together grows into a holy temple for the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are called to be one body, one church, one faith family. Verses 4 through 6 in Ephesians 4 present a very bold theological statement about God's people, about the church that also summarizes the entirety of the gospel. And it all goes back to unity, being united, being one. Did you hear it? There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. Paul reminds us to be one, to be unified as God's chosen people, as our God himself is unity. Think about it, the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working in perfect, harmonious unity for all eternity. He is one. We are called to be like him in this way. We must be one body, unified, united in Christ. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace that was given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though we are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. While we are different, that is okay. God has given us different gifts and abilities, all to use for the betterment of his kingdom and all for his glory in the end. Just because we are different does not mean that we are divided. We are one body, and each of us have a different job. We are to use our gifts, the things that God has given to us. Whatever you may be gifted in, use that for the body of Christ, for furthering the gospel, preaching the gospel in everything that we do. We cannot be divided before Christ, but we must be unified in Christ. We are one body. We must be one.
Today, God is calling us to unity. We, the church, must be united in Christ. Paul writes Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6, to remind us that our priority should be unity as we go throughout our efforts of loving others the way that Christ has first loved us. And after we have heard the truth and been reminded of the truth, he writes verses 7 through 16 to remind us of what our job is now. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. What gifts are those? Jump to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature to manhood, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth, in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together at every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're not there yet, brothers and sisters. We are not there yet. There is still work to be done. There's still a race to be had. And we have not reached the finish line yet. We still have a job to do. And the only way that we do it is by loving one another and by being united in Christ. May we continue to grow and mature in our faith as we become united in the truth, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. May we not be divided over trivial things as the church at Ephesus was, but be united in our Lord and Savior as we continue to do the work that is before us. We must be united in Christ in all that we do. We cannot be divided before Christ. We must be unified in Christ. The only way we do that is in love. Love God. Love others. Love one another. And in that, we will be one. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for the love that you have shown us and your son, Christ Jesus. God, we know that without him and the work that he did on the cross, we wouldn't be here today. God, as we have heard from your word, as we have heard you speak to us today, I pray that we all leave this place changed and challenged to live and to love more like you. And that in that, you would bring unity and peace to our world. God, may we be a body of believers that seeks to make you known in all that we do. God, may we not be divided over insignificant, petty, worthless things in the grand scheme of your plan. But may we join together different but united to proclaim your word and your love to the rest of the world. God, thank you for loving us. We love you. 
We praise you. We give you all the honor and the glory today. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.